I invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. One of the more well-known of David's psalms, at least the first few verses. Psalm 27 could be a, a difficult psalm to relate to if, um, you know, these psalms are songs, and they, songs work by sort of inviting you to sing along, and the psalms work the same way. It's one of the reasons they're so well-loved is because as you read them, you find that uh, it's sort of, it's talking about your experience. The, the psalms are a faithful reflection of the fears, uh, the trials, the joys of a Christian, of a child of God in the world. And, and isn't it true that um, if you've opened your Bible to the Psalms in a, in a time of trial or grief, you so often find that the words are, that's what you wanted to say. That it's easy to sing along. Well, Psalm 27 is not quite as easy to sing along, particularly if um, you are a person who lives with fear and anxiety, uh, because this Psalm just seems to boom with confidence. Uh, there's, it, it, it just brims with boldness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Uh, you know the, the song by Francis uh, Allison, I think. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's a good song for the shower. Um, <laughs> but it just, boom, see, that's, that's what it's, that's Psalm 27. Whom then shall I fear? Whom? Um, well, what if, what if, what if you've got a lot of fears? Um, anxiety sort of is your constant companion. You live in the, in the valley of the shadow of fear. Um, then what do you do with Psalm 27? Well, let's read it, and um, let's see what God has to say to us in it. Psalm 27. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
Let's ask the Lord to bless us. God in heaven, we come now and we submit to your word. It is truth. And we believe that it is food. It's bread. We believe you have a message here for us. And so, Lord, we come, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within, fears without, Lord, we come to you and to your word and ask that you would bless it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27, as I was saying, uh, might seem to be uh, one of those psalms that you read and you sort of think to yourself, I wish I could be like that. If you have an image in your mind of Psalm 27, um, what, what, what stance do you see David taking here? The image that first comes to my mind is David standing on some uh, rocky outpost, and uh, he's got his warrior clothes uh, wrapped around him, maybe holding a, a staff or a, a spear, sword, something, just a military man. Uh, he's looking out to the horizon with unflinching gaze, chiseled jaw, just a man of confidence. Boy, wouldn't that be great to live like that? No fears, no worries, just confident in God. And it's easy, it would be easy to take this psalm and make that sort of into a, then a, a moralistic uh, parable for us this morning. We could, we could talk about David and, and then just say, well, just be like him. See, look, look at how bold, how confident, how strong, how certain, how assured. Just be like that. Amen. We're going to have lots of time for coffee. But that would not be much help, and it wouldn't be faithful to David's real life, the life he actually lived, and it wouldn't be faithful to the text, would not be helpful uh, to us in any way. Because David's experience isn't an experience of no troubles. I mean, there's troubles in the psalm. He's got enemies and adversaries and foes who breathe out violence. Uh, what Psalm 27 is, uh, it's not David saying, look to me and be like me. It's, it's David saying, look to the Lord. That's the point of Psalm 27. That in the midst of trials, look to the Lord. There's a, there's a shelter there. There's a tent there. There's a place to stand and a, and a place to hide in God. And so let's give our attention to Psalm 27 as an invitation to come and, and dwell in the secret place of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty. My first point this morning is the conversation of faith. The conversation of faith. An important lesson when you're reading scriptures is to make sure that you're reading what the text is saying, not what you think the text is saying. Many people make this mistake for, with a classic text like John 3.16 and, and read it as though it is um, saying um, God loves everyone equally, Jesus died for everyone equally, um, as a sort of the, the, the verse for an Arminian um, understanding of the gospel. But if, but if you actually look at what the text is saying, you'll find it's not addressing those specific issues at all. Well, Psalm 27, if you, if you read it, you could assume that it's saying uh, that David has no fears, that David is um, he's living the victorious Christian life. This is a, a testimony to triumphant faith. Uh, God has set me high in a rock. My head is exalted above all my enemies, verse 5 and 6. You, you, could, you could read that into Psalm 27, but that's not what David is actually saying. What we have here is, in Psalm 27 is an account of David talking to himself. And he's doing it in a time of trouble. 
there's enemies, as I said, there's adversaries, there are foes, they, they uh, are looking for opportunities to slander him, they're waiting for him to slip up. He has constantly people who cannot wait for David to do something that they can spin into a tale. And they breathe out violence, that's really strong language. And in, in that context, David is saying, Lord, be gracious to me, answer me, hear me when I cry aloud. And so the image of Psalm 27 shouldn't be David standing fearlessly uh, on this uh, rock, confidently living above the fray of normal human beings like you and me. The image we should have is David in his prayer closet talking to himself about God. We find, you see, what David is doing at the beginning of the psalm is, is practicing exactly what he encourages us to do at the end of the psalm. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. David isn't exuding courage in Psalm 27, he's taking courage. As he waits on the Lord, as he, as he sets his mind and his, his eye, his heart upon the truth of who God is and, and what God has accomplished and what God has promised, he's talking to himself. And, and that changes, you see, how we hear these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Martin Lloyd-Jones makes a great point in one of his sermons um, on Psalm 42. It's in the book, Spiritual Depression, a classic. And uh, in Psalm 42, uh, the, the psalmist there is talking to himself as well. Why, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. And Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the point that most of our fears would dissipate and um, we would see things much more clearly if we would spend more time talking to ourselves and less time listening to ourselves. Well, David's talking to himself. Whom, whom shall I fear? It's, it's not that he doesn't experience fear. Of course he does. But, but in that context, you see, he's speaking truth about the fact that the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, who, who made this whole thing, the Lord is my personal light and my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. The God who, who just cre created everything with the word of his mouth has bound himself to me in covenant. This is the God of Israel. It's, the, it's, God, it's David's personal living God. He is, he is mine. I am I'm his. There's an indissoluble bond between us created by God's own initiative and God's own covenant. Therefore, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, who he could name, it is they who stumble and fall. And, and that's not just hopeful conjecture, that is, that's David's, that's where he lives, that's his truth, right? He's experienced this. Boys and girls, can you ever remember an instance in David's life where someone wanted to eat up his flesh? Not literally, of course, but someone wanted to just completely destroy him and feed him to the birds. Any, can you remember any occasions like that? How about Goliath? Is that what you're going to say? 
That's exactly what Goliath was going to do. He's going to destroy David's flesh and feed it to the birds. And yet, in that occasion, who stumbled and fell? Was it David? It wasn't David. It was Goliath who stumbled and fell as, as a stone directed by the hand of God struck him directly in the forehead and he was killed. He died. So, you see, it, it's because God is David's stronghold and he's seen it happen in the past. He, he realized that because God is my stronghold, I don't have reasons for fear. Fear is, is something that we live with, but we don't have reasons for it. Though an army encamp against me, the worst possible thing you can imagine, a whole, a whole army shows up at your front door, and they, they're camping there. They're against you. They're going to they're gonna get you. My heart will not fear. The war rise out against me, yet will I be confident. Why? Because, because the God who made heaven and earth is my stronghold. And so as, as David talks to himself, he, he reminds himself of the truth about God, the truth about God's promises, and he takes Courage. It's a great phrase. Let your heart take courage. We, uh, too often, you see, try to manufacture courage, which is a completely different thing. Manufacturing courage in a time of fear is, is looking to your abilities, looking to your friends, looking to your resources, looking to your plan, your strategy, so that you, you are... Um, taking into account whatever it is, the thing that you fear, and you are uh, gathering your resources so that you can take courage. You can manufacture courage by what you do. David, David's not doing that at all. He's not manufacturing. He's taking courage as he looks to the Lord and simply receives again the truth about who God is, about the might of God, the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God. A great example of this sort of courage is found in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are um, caught worshiping the true God and refusing to worship this golden image the king has raised. And so they're brought before the king, and he says, I've got this fiery furnace, and uh, if you do not bow down and worship, I'm going to throw you in. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not manufacture courage. They took courage. In the truth of God, our God is able to deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, whether by death or by life, God is going to deliver them. It's in God's hands, not the king's hands. And so they just say, we're not bowing down to your silly golden image. They took courage from the reality of God. And that's exactly what David's doing here. Calvin writes, we can have no tranquility until we attain the persuasion that our life is sufficiently guarded because it is protected by God's omnipotent power. We can have no tranquility until we attain the persuasion, the conviction, that our life is sufficiently guarded because it is protected by God's omnipotent power. Now that's, that's a lesson for all of us. It's a lesson for me. I don't want to live in fear. I don't think you want to live in fear. And yet, fear doesn't dissipate with good intentions. You see, fear doesn't just sort of go away. 
There's always things that threaten seemingly our comfort and our security, our peace, our joy. So fear can only be dealt with, uh, with when we infuse truths that are greater than our troubles. So fear can only be dealt with when, when you take the reality of God and what he has done and what he has promised and, what, and, and then you take that to the trial, that to the trouble, that to the grief, the goodness, the faithfulness. It does not mean that there will not be trial. It does not mean there will not, might not be pain. But, but it does mean there will not be abandonment, there will not be desertion, there will not be hopelessness, there will not be a loss and despair. God promises to deliver either, either from the trial or through the trial, but, but, but he's going to deliver you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are absolutely confident. William Cooper captures the, the thought, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are filled with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. The conversation of faith is the conversation where a child of God takes the truths of God and applies those truths to the reality of your life, the reality of your trials. So Bo and Nikki Gotch have a little boy in the hospital this morning. Is God sufficient? For our children. And of course he is. And Bo and Nikki are being a wonderful example of just resting in the Lord, trusting in him, taking their fears to him. It's a precious thing. It's a precious thing that we can do. The conversation of faith is speaking to ourselves the truths about God. The central desire of faith is yearning God. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You've got to pay careful attention to the one thing. David's one thing isn't comfort. His one thing isn't security or protection. His one thing is, is God himself. I think that's a, a, a great lesson to Christian Ameri- uh, Christians in America because um, we love our comfort zones. We love our peace, our security, and we quickly get frightened when that gets threatened, our security. And when it happens, either health-wise, financial-wise, reputation, whatever it is, then we find it easy to pray to God and asking for his help. And when he does help, we're deeply thankful for the renewed sense of comfort and security that we have, and then we get on with life. You see, the one thing was comfort. And when we sensed it was threatened, we prayed like crazy, and when it was returned, we forgot about God and and got on with with life. David's one thing is God. God himself, one thing I've asked of the Lord. This is what I seek after. It's not that he didn't delight in safety. Of course he did. In so many of the Psalms, Lord, help me, save me. I'm sinking. My enemies are attacking me. David wanted to be protected. He wanted to be safe. But you see, when God answered those prayers, David didn't then just seek to move on with life. What his heart wanted was was the God who saved him. Oh oh God, the God who savest me. He, he He wants God. 
I want to seek after God. I want to seek the face of God. I want to gaze upon the beauty of God. I want to inquire in the temple of God. I want God to be my focus. I want to see the beauty of God. We were, uh, Joanne and I, uh, along with Jeff and Jenny, had the privilege uh, this past week to spend a few days up at Mackinac Island to attend a, a conference that Cornerstone University put on for pastors and their wives. We were up uh, at the Grand Hotel, actually, first time. Um, it was beautiful. And uh, it was interesting that the, the uh, conference was sort of on, is it okay for pastors to enjoy things like this? I mean, aren't we supposed to be sort of committed to the hard stuff, the gritty stuff, and would you really want your congregation to know you're at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island suffering for the cause? <clears throat> and Steve DeWitt, one of the speakers, mentioned uh, that we, we don't have real robust categories for beauty, even though it is at, it's interwoven into the core of our being. So when we talk about God, we talk about His goodness, His beauty, His truth, uh, His holiness, His love, His grace, his goodness, but we don't talk often about the beauty of God. David specifically wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And, and, and to gaze upon is to not just see it, but to, to be able to in, enter into it, to enjoy it, to, to, to wonder and worship, to be satisfied, to be filled with it. Real beauty does that to you. I, I love how C.S. Lewis puts that. When we see real beauty, it, it, it's not enough to simply be in its presence. We want to enter into the glories that we see. That's how it is with, with God. And, and that's what David longs for. He, you see, what's happened is that as he thinks about the promises of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God, the protection of God, the salvation of God, the light of God, those things are, are the beauties of God to David. They're not just truths that can be um, leaned on, looked to, or appropriated in particular times when you sense you need them. What David, as he thinks about all the things that God is to him, they're it makes God beautiful. He wants to know the God who does these things. What, what, what kind of God is this, you see, who is so gracious, who's so faithful, who's so mighty, who's so kind? He wants to know the beauties. These are the beauties of God, and he wants to know the God of the beauty. So one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself is, have the things that you know about God, the things that you've been taught about God, the things that you even profess to believe about God, have they become to you the beauties of God? So that you hunger for the God of those things. That you, you, when you think of the faithfulness and the power and the love and the grace, you, you want to know Him. Not just experience those blessings. You want those blessings, but, but, but there's something more, something be, beyond that. You see, I, I don't think that the, those gifts of God become really helpful if, if, if we try to have them apart from God. The power of God will not be a deeply soul-satisfying comfort to you unless you see it is beautiful to you. Unless you're just overwhelmed at how good this mighty God is. 
His faithfulness will not be a shield and a rampart. It'll be something you, you sort of believe and you hang on to, try to, but, but, but when, when, it's a, when it's a beauty of God, when, when, you, when you delight, you see, in this truth of God and you, and, you, and you yearn for God because of his faithfulness, then that faithfulness does something completely different in your life. Your heart has to be engaged with God before it can truly rest in God. Psalm 62, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. He is my rest. He's my hope. My only hope comes from him. So you see, the Holy Spirit's goal in Psalm 27 is not to lift up David and say, just be like David. Uh, And it's not even to give us... um, some, some words, again, truths about God so that you can just sort of take those truths and apply them as you maybe see the need. The, the, the Spirit's goal is to, is to help us see the beauty of God so that we are drawn to God. Beauty is irresistible unless you're dead spiritually. But, but beauty is, we're hardwired for it. When you hear a beautiful strain of music, it, it can stop you in your tracks. When you, when you see a magnificent scene, a landscape, when something that's truly beautiful, maybe it's an aroma, it, you're irresistibly drawn. But the same is true for God. When you see the beauty... You're drawn to it, unless you're spiritually dead. But this is, you see, this is what God does, isn't it? He has shown the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and, and friend, this is, this is what we need so much. Isn't this the great lack of our life? Isn't this where our spiritual lethargy and our worldliness and our lack of spiritual power and courage come from? Is that we don't have this one thing as, as David does. We, we can't follow him here. We, we lack the one thing which, God, I want to know you. There's, a, there's a, a warning in the example of Rehoboam, Solomon's foolish son, as 2 Chronicles 12, 14. He did, e- he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. You want to understand Rehoboam's foolishness? You want to understand the, the sin that was there, the, the wickedness that was there? What happened to Rehoboam? Well, he, he didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. That, that's all that happened. He was just busy doing other things. And so this one thing is critical. We, we, we ask for so many one things, right? Lord, I, I just need this. I just want that. But when's the last time you said, Lord, this is the one thing. I just, I want to, I want to see you. I don't want to miss you. I want to see your beauty. I want to inquire in your temple. I want to know you personally in your revelation by your spirit, through your word, in your acts, in your promises. I want my mind and heart to be transfixed by your beauty. I want, I want to be enraptured by your glory. I want to live my life in the shadow of your wings. I want my words and my thoughts and my actions to be in line with your being and your, and your ways. Do you ever pray that? It's a critical prayer. It's a central core concern of a Christian. Fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. This is the core concern. And, and it's what God commands. You have said, seek my face. It's what God says all through scripture. Seek my face. And what God promises, if you seek me, you will find me. 
If you seek me with all your heart, he's not a hiding God in that sense. He, he is willing to be known. But he commands us to seek, and God promises great things. There's a wonderful story. King Asa, who did not have a great reign in Judah, 2 Chronicles 15.10, but he did this right. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. That's a wonderful encouragement. Seek my face, your face, Lord, I will seek. And from that comes a life that is at rest. There's a, there's a confidence in the midst of trouble. You just notice the confidence that David pers- that, uh, moves on in faith as he's taken courage. His prayer in verses 7 through 12, if you just read it through, that it's God will hide me, for, excuse me, verse 5. He will hide me in his shelter. He will do this. He, he will... Um, Conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon, uh, upon the rock. Uh, he will, he will, he will. He's convinced that God is going to do good things for him. And because he will, God will do all of these things, I will then respond, I will, verse 6, offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to my God. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live as though these things are true, even though they, maybe I'm not experiencing them in their fullness now. God has promised. I'm going to sing. I'm going to respond. I'm going to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and make melody to the Lord. Why? Because I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, verse 13. I'm convinced of it. And that's why David prays with this boldness. That's why he casts himself on the Lord. Plummer has a great line. He says, one of the best practices of a devout mind is converting promises to prayers. One of the best practices of a devout mind is converting promises to prayers. Because God has promised, I know that I know this is going to happen. I know that God's going to be faithful. So I'm going to sing and I'm going to pray with that confidence. Lord, you said, and so do this. Hear me, O Lord, and be gracious to me. You said, seek my face. Lord, I'm going to seek your face. Don't turn your face away. In the midst of his trouble, David cries out to the Lord. Where do we find in this psalm? How do we, how do we interpret this psalm as Christians? Let me say it that way. Well, we interpret this psalm as Christians. All the same truths, all the same God, and yet more wonderfully revealed to us. Uh, because we live in, a, in an era of greater revelation with, with Jesus Christ himself now given to us. And, and in Christ we find the beauty of God revealed. Jesus is the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David had a sense of the, the light of God, but we, we see the light in its fullness in Christ. John writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Jesus, you see the the glory of God. You see the beauty of God. Not just in his physical form. The the text, Scripture actually says he didn't have physical beauty. Nothing in his physical appearance that would make you desire him. But, But... The beauties of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the the kindness of God, the condescension of God, all the glories of God shine through Jesus, even the justice and wrath of God, as God punishes man's sin in his son. It's, It's overwhelming truth. 
And, and God shines this light into the world so that, so that we don't have reasons to say, Lord, if you would just show me your beauty. He has shown us his beauty. The light has shown. It's shown in the darkness. In the face of Jesus Christ. Those who saw him were amazed at his beauty. John says, we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. They saw the essential beauty of God in Jesus. 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw majesty in Jesus. We saw beauty in Jesus. Friend, are you bored with Jesus? And isn't it true that that can happen to any of us? And if we're bored with Jesus, it's because we're not seeing him. We're just not seeing him. You cannot possibly see the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ and be bored. Pierce our gloom of sin and grief. God, help us to see. Because in Jesus, not only is the beauty of God revealed, but in Jesus, the longing of the believer is fulfilled. Paul writes that wonderful text in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Then face to face. 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's going to be, you see, one day we're going we're gonna to see beauty in all of its essential truth. Every, every aspect of beauty you see in the world around you is just a reflection of the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. And one day, the, every longing of our heart is going to be satisfied when we stand face to face in front of Jesus. As, as, as we stand finally in the presence of full ultimate reality and, and, we, and we see that, that God is, is more good than we ever knew, that, that the love of God is, is far beyond anything we could have imagined, that the, that the grace and the kindness of God is, is just far beyond the, our ability to comprehend. But one day, it's, it's, it's just going to open up. Like the, the curtain is going to pull back, and you're going to see it. And it's going to be worth it. And so, wait for the Lord, friends. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Take courage. Don't work it up. Don't manufacture it. In the life that God's called you to live, in the trials that God has ordained you to pass through, in the griefs that God has called you to bear, in all the things that aren't the way you wished they were, look to the Lord. Let your heart take courage in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are people who live real lives in a real world and we have real pains and fears. And We need, Lord, to learn again and again to look to you and to see the beauty of God. That our hearts, Lord, desire and, are, and hunger for you and are satisfied in you so that, Lord, the things that you do and give and promise are beautiful to us because they're from your hand, because they're reminders of your care and your faithfulness. Lord, forgive us for loving your gifts 
and not hungering for you. And I pray, God, that you would give us the gift to repent and turn. I pray, Lord, that, that this one thing would be our the core concern of our life, to, to gaze upon the beauty of, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, if there are any here today who, who've never really turned to face Jesus and confessing their sin and crying out to him, Lord, I, I pray that they would see that they don't know what light is, they don't know what life is without Jesus. And so that they would give, be given the, the, the grace to repent and that the light would shine through. But Lord, there's so many of us that... that are here today in the gloom of sin and unbelief and, and heavy trials. And we need your light to break through so that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, the, and that, Lord, as that light breaks into our life, we worship, we adore, we trust, we take courage. And so, Lord, hear your people as we cry to you. It honors you when we turn and cry aloud. And ask, Lord, for your help and your presence and your beauty to shine down on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.